Welcome back, everybody, to the 49th episode of the DCVC podcast. I am your host, Akash Bhatt, and this is a show where we bring angel investors and venture capitalists investing in the diverse tech landscape of India. I'm very excited about today's episode. It features my very good friend, Vaibhav Domkundwar. Vaibhav runs Better Capital, an early stage venture firm that builds and invests in category defining businesses. He's got a fantastic portfolio that ranges all the way from Khata Book, Open, Slice, Yulu, Jupiter, all the way up until early stage companies such as Fitter, Emit, and Jaikasan. On today's episode, we will explore what it means to be a solo VC in India, and more importantly, the challenges that come with it. Waibhav has built a fantastic brand for himself for the last couple of years. And on this episode, we will uncover all about his investments and more importantly, learn about how he leverages his own personal brand and social media to generate deal flow. So without further ado, let's head in and listen to Waibhav. Waibhav, welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful to have you on. Thanks, Akash. Um, and uh, I know it, we've been talking about this for a while, so good to be here. Fantastic. Let's jump straight in and not waste any time because I'm super curious and eager to learn about your experience as an investor. So when you're looking back and analyzing the year that was 2020, what really stands out to you personally and what has been brushed under the carpet in your opinion? Um, so 2020 was technically the year of extremes, right? Um, so I think, uh, you know, we started off January at a fairly fast pace because we had an overflow of deals from uh, 2019. So I think uh, January and February were fairly busy for us. I was in Bangalore, I was in Mumbai, we were closing a few things, we had some press going out. And then suddenly this um, virus news started to spread. And, um, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years and uh, you can't be one for that long unless you're optimistic, right? So I'm usually the glass half full kind of person. But um, I had, I just had a negative feeling about this, right? Very early, um, probably early Feb, uh, mid-Feb or something like that, right? And um, and I think I just told all the founders that we were talking to, I think almost everyone who had a decently global network sort of got a feeling about the virus earlier than, you know, everybody else. And um, I just told a lot of my founders that, hey, you know, I think you need to start thinking about what this might be. And this was in Feb. And um, it just got worse and worse. And by early March, I think um, uh, we were really discussing a lot with our portfolio. Um, the existing sort of deals were done, but uh, everything shifted to portfolio, right? And I told my founders that, hey, you know, if you made all your efforts and your plan and you looked at the bad news and the worst case situation and you came to, um, you know, a cut that you are doing uh, across the board of X, then just four exit, right? Because almost everybody was planning for three months. And I said, plan for 18, right? So um, I think um, it was the hardest, in my opinion, because, you know, we are an early stage investor. So a lot of our 
uh, portfolio is at pre-seed and seed stage, right? And um, when you're in that stage, when you're pre-PMF and you have a runway problem, it's probably the worst space to be in. So I think uh, March, April, and May, and some part of June as well, um, I think was just really, really hard, uh, emotional, um, indecisive, unclear, and everything. I think probably I've never had a harder period in my last 20 years, right? Um, so that was 2020, right? One extreme, um, everything felt wrong, bad, unclear, everything you can think of. And then, um, Suddenly, I think, um, I still don't know why, but um, the funding and conversations and everything that had frozen suddenly started to look up because as we all saw from March to June, public markets just revived themselves, right? And uh, when public markets are revived and going higher than anybody else thought and faster than anybody else thought, uh, the sentiment changes, I think, right? So even within our LP base, I think the sentiment changed um, very, uh, very visibly. And you could see the effect of that on the ground on the pre-seed, seed and series A stages where you started to see that the activity has picked up again. And I think, um, you know, we started the year um, fast, but completely slowed down for six, uh, for four months. And the later part of 2020, the last six months, I think we did like 35 investments, right? And it was probably also the fastest pace in our three years. And probably even if you count my personal checks from before. And uh, that was that was 2020. It was, I think we were, we raised 10 back-to-back -back rounds within the year because of the latter half. Uh, we uh, made the largest number of investments in the year. And it just doesn't feel real that you can kind of see the East and the West at the same time within the same year. So, you know, it was, it was educating at another level, I would say. How much of what happened last year affected your deal flow in the latter half of 2020? Now, you spoke about you know, the first half being a challenge and you asking your founders to stay calm, stay patient, focus on the 18-month runway. But after that, what kind of deal flow did you start seeing yourself and how did that really impact your decision-making process over the next six months? Yep, great question. So when I was in the middle of the worst part, um, I also remembered the 2001 and 2008 crises, right? I had lived through both as an entrepreneur. And um, I think the learning from both of them was that some of the best teams come out of the larger and growing companies and get started, right? I'd seen that happen in the Valley two times last decade. And I said, um, it's quite likely that we'll see some of the best teams come out of the larger Flipkarts, Ola's, Bounds, um, Zumato, et cetera, et cetera, right? And um, that turned out to be truer than I could have imagined, right? So um, deal flow did not only increase, I think the quality of deal flow was just phenomenal because we were now seeing companies coming, I mean, teams coming out of companies who had seen venture scale 
at their at the, at their earlier employers, right? So they were far more clear about how they're going to build out. They were experienced. They actually were starting with the co-founding team that was really well-rounded, that was clear about what they wanted to achieve and things like that. So I think the quality improved, which was which is something that I was uh, really happy about. And then uh, look, I think uh, we've we've invested a lot in our founder relationships, and not for a deal flow perspective, but we've just worked very very closely with the founders from the very early stages, right? So our founder network continues to be our best deal referral source. And I think that kicked in because look, a lot of their friends from different companies were starting, right? So um, I think I, I am bandwidth constraints in just addressing those conversations, right? And I think that's what happened in the last six, last, uh, six months. Quality improved, uh, pace improved, and um, that's, where, that's why we ended up doing what we did which is probably the largest number of deals in the year. So how does a fund manager go about doing that, Vaiba? Because let's face it, if you're not adding value to the founders that you're currently invested in, chances are that they are not going to go and recommend other founders or their friends to come and take money from, from you. So how do you build that out in the initial initial days? You mentioned about adding a lot of value to, to the founders. What kind of value are you personally adding? And what kind of value should early stage VCs, in your opinion, be bringing to the table that founders need to keep in mind before they take the money in? Because it's not just about the check anymore. It's more about the value proposition beyond just the cute checks and the monies that people are writing. Um, another great question, Akash. And I think this is probably the center of um, what we are at Better. Honestly, we are a small check, right? So we did, we do basically between 100 to 300K on an average, but I mean, um, uh, as a range, but usually we've done 250, 500K checks as well. Um, so I think uh, for us, uh, when founders choose Better, it is, um, I would say, rarely because of the check or the check size, right? I think they choose us because um, how we work with them even before we invest, right? Um, so we are, um, look, I've been a founder for 20 years. And one of the things I've learned is um, founders will actually prove investors wrong um, many, 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 many times, right? And that naive optimism is actually at the, um, at the center of successes in Airbnb, DoorDash, and Uber, and so many companies which most experienced investors just passed over and over and over again, correct? And I think I am a big believer in that. So when I am on the other side as an investor, I am not trying to say why this idea is not going to work, right? I'm actually sitting on the same side as you, and I'm trying to figure out how do we make it work? Is it workable? What are we seeing? What is your unique insight? And things like that. So I think from the beginning, um, our relationship, even before we invest, and if you talk to founders who've spent time with me where we did not invest, will also tell you what it is like, right? So, and, and that, that part actually follows in to then companies that we invest in. And that becomes an easy transition because we are sort of, you know, building ourselves into that idea. I am committing 
not because somebody else is investing, not because, oh, this is a great team only. I'm, I'm actually a market first investor. So when I'm committing, I'm actually very clear about that this can be done, this should be done, this team can pull off, right? So that relationship continues post-investment. And we sort of have weekly, bi-weekly or monthly cadences with our teams. Um, and, you know, I'm not one of those investors where I'm going to say, hey, look, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and work with you very closely. I actually don't believe in that, right? What I actually believe in is that I have to invest in teams that don't need my help. Okay, I actually, and, and having said that, then I basically say, hey, you know, I'm here to problem solve, right? So they actually have a nine hours of my week are um, open to my founders. They pick up 30 minutes on my calendar um, anytime they want. And they brief me beforehand what we are going to talk about. And I go prepared into that meeting and we are problem solving, right? Whether it's fundraising or growth or hiring and things like that. Because, you know, we are broadly on the same page and there's a lot of WhatsApp and this and that, obviously. But we're broadly on the same page in terms of um, the vision, what we are building, where we are going, what is the milestone, quarter one, quarter two, to, to our seed raise or to the series A raise and things like that. So then it's really about problem solving, right? Because everybody is busy in kind of their core insights in execution and iteration every day. So I don't intend to be part of that, right? And I don't think my founders want me to be part of that, right? They actually want to use me to zoom out. They want, they want to use me to say, hey, you know, here's what we are thinking. What is your view? They're not asking me what should we do, correct? And I like it that way. Right. So that is how I end up working. And I think, um, look, I don't think I can be the best judge of the value that I'm adding. I think our founders should probably um, uh, they're, they're probably more qualified to answer that. But I think it's been a great relationship across a variety of companies. There are Series C founders. I sp still spend like two hours every quarter kind of just zooming out with them. And I think um, that's that's really the core of better. I think uh, I always say. Uh, the the, uh, the the capital in the better capital is probably um, less important than the relationship that we build and uh, the check size uh, should be dwarfed by the eventual value that the founders should feel with better. Right? So I think um, that's the core. So to summarize, I think the way we I work with our founders is on a problem solving mode. They pull my time instead of me pushing my time onto them. And I think it's been working great across the board. No, that's fantastic, Vaibhav. And I'm guessing a lot of this is also something that you have brought to the table based on your operating experience as you being a founder. As somebody who's been there and built companies, you realize the real value that a VC can add because you've been through that journey yourself. Now, very few investors can actually boast about that sort of an experience, right? So my takeaway from that segment was that you're a de facto team player, a 3am friend who is not just a shoulder to, I wouldn't say cry on, but somebody who can hear you out, but also brings valuable opinions to the table by doing their own research. Now, during your period of being an operator and now as an investor, and when you speak to startups, what is the big change that you see from the time that you went out and built companies to the way that people are building out companies now? Um, so look, I think the core of it remains the same, right? You find a problem that's large enough 
and you figure out why you are the correct person or the correct team to solve it. And then you find um, early investor believers and go go do it, right? Um, so I think the core of entrepreneurship has remained the same uh, for a very, very long time. I think what has changed is um, the, the, the quality of uh, teams that actually have a far more um, a far more set of uh, experiences to learn from, right? So when I started my first company in uh, in year 2000, um, the world was very different. You know, Amazon was six, seven years old. Um, Netscape was uh, launched in 92, 93, I mean, 94, I think. Um, so everything was new, right? Versus when you are starting a company in 2021, I think um, you just have so much, um, uh, you know, out there for you in terms of how quickly you can do so many things, right? So I think um, what has changed is um, the knowledge that founders have today than, than, than what I saw over the last 20 years. Uh, what has changed is um, definitely the availability of capital. I think, especially in the Indian market, I think uh, even 10 years ago, um, you, I, I was not on the ground in India, but I've heard from many folks that it was just incredibly hard to raise uh, any sort of angel or venture capital, right? Uh, it was really, really small. So I think capital has changed for Indian founders in 2021. And I think um, the, the third biggest thing is, I think, what, what is the secret source of Silicon Valley, right? Which is just the availability of uh, experience, right? So if Flipkart is um, about 12, 13 years old, uh, and, and so is uh, Ola and Zomato and Zeroda and other companies that have scaled, you just have more people who've seen tech to that scale, more people who've seen growth, more people who have uh, who understand what UX means, which I think ten years ago you, we've all seen and experienced Indian products and websites, right? So I think we are um, as good or getting very close to being as good as any other ecosystem because of which. And I, I look, I, I still have the hindsight um, of being in the Valley for sixteen years. I still it's still a second home, first home for me. So I see this not just to be a cheerleader, but as a pre-seed investor, um, I think um, today uh, Indian founders have almost very close advantages to what you have in the Valley. Now, I'm not comparing apples, apples to apples, but I'm just saying where we've come from and where we've reached, right? So I think this decade, we'll see a lot more money, a lot more teams building on that experience, and um, they're just going to do it faster uh, than I could have done uh, 20 years ago. That's a great point that you bring out in terms of scaling. And today, founders, in my opinion, are also a little more bold in terms of just the um, kind of companies that they're coming out with and the strategies and the GTM that they've taken. And it's also refreshing to see the younger crop of uh, entrepreneurs come into the ecosystem who are tackling problems that they have faced. And this is something that uh, somebody alluded to in my episode, in, in my podcast way uh, before as well. I think it was Mark Khan who mentioned that today products are being built mostly uh, in, in, in those sectors which were basically done by people at home, like your mothers and your fathers. Now, there were two things that came out in that segment. You mentioned market and you mentioned pre-seed investor. I want to put this question for to you. So how does the market requirement change now for you as a pre-seed investor 
are you happy with the 100 million dollar exit or are you or do you still require a unicorn to be a successful fund of course i mean you obviously would want your companies to go on to want to become a, a unicorn but just from a fund economic perspective as a pre seed investor is 100 million enough today um so i think the short answer is yes it's more than enough right because even if we get in at a 2 million 3 million uh, valuation you still have like a 30 40 50 x right so i think um, most people would uh, take it any point of time right so i think that is um, that that's the short and easy answer right um but having said that um akash i think for me um i i think i think of investing um and whether it's pre seed or seed or series a i think this is a choice that you make as a person and what you actually enjoy than anything else but um overall i think for me uh, when i'm doing these investments i'm actually i i think of all of this as underwriting the future right um and when you're underwriting the future you're not underwriting the future for two years or three years from now you're underwriting the future for a decade you're saying hey you know how will uh, credit get unlocked in india you are saying hey what will be the engineering college in 2030 or you're saying um you know what would agri be as uh, as um, as a segment in india over the next 10 years so i think you are you are taking a very big view of the future you're putting your research and experience in perspective and um point of view to find investments um into teams who align with sort of um broadly align with where you think the world is going in the 10 years in a particular segment right so so when you i think uh, look at look at it that way i think for me the 100 million is really a stepping stone um obviously a lot of companies will fail much before as well and that's the nature of venture and we completely fine with that but i think the ones that actually cross the 100 million honestly will just go on to get bigger and bigger and bigger right majority a good number of them obviously again uh, still venture still a lot of probability to fail but i think um when we reach 100 i think we'll have a bigger question of um you know staying in versus you know what we are taking off the table right so um like you said um, it will be a good problem to have and i'm i'm looking forward to many goals <laughs> that's a great point that you make and uh, i do agree with you in terms of just the exit um, itself even if it's a 100 billion dollar exit because you're coming in so early you're really basing all of your conviction on the team and sometimes as you mentioned even the market potential it could turn out to be a good exit for you depending on what the what success also means to you right so that actually is a good good way to even think about from a fund manager perspective and define what your vision for for your firm is what does success really mean to you and your investors so it's a good way to look at it from that perspective but one thing i noticed all throughout this episode um babu is that you've been talking about team founders and network this is kind of been the undertone of the episode so far right and they also say vc is a team sport and by that i mean venture investing looks better when you have a team of people as opposed to an individual working together to evaluate companies and support them after you've invested what were your initial reservations about going solo given that you're a solo gp today what were some of the things that you were thinking through before embarking on this venture of your own 
Um, great question. And obviously uh, being the center of box for me for a long time, as I evaluated and took this route and deliberated and said, okay, you know, this is it. Um, so look, I, I actually believe now more than ever after three years of actively investing in early stage in India, um, that um, group think that come, comes with teams is actually really, really hard to get around, right? So while I think there are a lot of advantages of having um, a, a larger team-based approach and some democratization of that decision, um, I, I personally believe, especially for my focus on pre-seed and seed, um, it is it is far more effective. It's it has been far more effective for me personally to um, to invest as a solo GP, not have dependency of that decision making um, that that could slow me down, that could make me uh, go into an analysis paralysis mode, or um, you know sort of. Um, make the entire process longer or bulkier or more cumbersome than it needs to be, right? And again, like you um, alluded to earlier, I think I've been an operator, right? So I think I I personally, um, I, 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 I've been very hands-on. I've sold all the world. I, I know SEO. I can write sequence email. I can literally do a lot of what our founders are doing and going through right so when i am actually evaluating um i i'm able to make a decision with a fair amount of conviction after i've spent enough time obviously you know not always always easy but when i do make a decision i'm not half-hearted at all right so when i go through that process i just haven't um, felt the need so far um at our scale and our stage uh, to to sort of um, make that decision making more team driven or a larger process driven and things like that. So I think um, a lot of different models work for different people. But uh, I think um, uh, when I did this, by the way, I started this in Jan of 2018 with a fairly uh, well thought out approach. Um, I don't believe the solo GP uh thing existed in fact i think uh, a few months ago when somebody wrote about it i sent that article to one of my vc friends and he's like ah i said so there's somebody's come up with a name for it right um so i think for me it was more about um unconstraining my decision um and i think that has worked well and uh, while we'll continue to evaluate um if if that uh, that constrains us on speed or bandwidth or something else um, I, I actually am a big believer in solo GP uh, model. Um, it, it, it helps you to move fast, move decisively, and just kind of doesn't constrain you from the process that could slow you down. So were you ever open to the idea of having a partner, you know, starting off the fund alone and then adding a partner down the road if you find the right person? And the second part of the question is, are you willing to share control of economic and non-economic controls of the way the fund works? You know, by non-economic control, I mean, things other than carried interest splits and other things that touch money, are the firm's personality, internal process, branding, investment focus areas, decision making, all up for debate when you or other people that you might bring into the firm might be open to having? 
Um, I think the short answer is yes, right? I think if we have to build better into a large, long-lasting brand for the next several, several years, um, I, I absolutely think uh, not only am I open, but I think you will see a lot of that happening over the next several years. Um, there is a lot that we can do based on what we have on our plate, what we've built um, uh, brick by brick over the last three years. And, um, you know, while we may not do everything um, that uh, one can imagine, we will pick and choose what we want to grow and what we don't want to grow and things like that, right? So we have a uh, early advice program called Brainstorm, which unlike accelerators, it's a very focused co-building program. So uh, we will definitely uh, grow that. Uh, we will have kind of uh, partners who will lead that eventually. And um, I think across the board, I think from a capital sourcing perspective, I think we'll grow um, internally as well as externally. And um, and I think broadly, yes, the answer is absolutely yes. And and look, I think um, uh, you know if if you can't build an institution with a set of people that grow with you, um, it's 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 not an institution that will last or scale, right? So I think that's kind of the broad view. Now the hard part is actually finding those like-minded people. So. Um, I've 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 been through enough partnerships uh, over the last twenty two years of working that I know how hard it is to find good business partners in general, and I think in venture it gets um, it's almost ten x harder, right? To find a, a person who aligns with your ethics and value system uh, first of all, and then I think um, somebody that you respect and that person respects you back, and you can have a relationship that um, helps you work on venture, which I think is the hardest job in the world, um, and, and, and continue that uh, relationship with mutual respect and friendship and everything. So I, I don't intend to trivialize it. I don't think this is something that we will go and uh, put out a job posting or find people. And, and I think it will be something that we will let grow naturally. It'll happen organically. And the, yes, absolutely. And, and it's something that we will take very, very seriously, right? So I wouldn't put, I, I would put finding the right people far ahead of wanting to grow faster on the, you know, team side. Fair enough. And who knows, maybe one of your, one of your companies has an exit and maybe the co-founder joins you as a partner. That's also a possibility or a venture partner. That could also be a model that can be explored oh, in the future. Yeah, yeah. Those are the best relationships that I'm forming, right? Akash, so you're spot on. And... You know, just to take a step back, you did mention that there was no definition called the solo GP two or three years ago, and it's something that's just come about in the last year and a half or so. So when you were out there fundraising for your fund, how difficult or easy was it for you to convince your LPs and telling them that it's just going to be you and you only deploying the funds and therefore the sole control of the fund lies in this, the discretion of one person and how comfortable or opposed were they in terms of their money just being with one fund manager? Um, so another great question, and I, I was wondering why why you haven't asked me so far. So you know, I did all of that without going out to raise a fund. So I, um, I so that I did not have to answer that question. 
and I did not have to see that I will prove it and you have to believe it and things like that. I just did it, correct? Now, um, thankfully, there was a way to do it, right? So I think uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I don't think there was a way where you could just start investing like a fund. Um, uh, you, you just had no option, but you just go on the road and race for uh, 18 months, 24 months, especially for your first fund, you end up with a fraction of what you aim for and you somehow had to meet, do work hard and then finally get, get to your second fund, which is more meaningful, right? But um, I think, um, you know, today um, or over the last five years, I think there has been this whole SPV driven model where um, you can use it the way you want. Different people have used it for different purposes. But I think I opted to choose that as our model for better capital. So we are an entirely SPV driven fund where when we started in Jan of 18, we essentially just started investing. Our check sizes were small, um, but we just started investing. And uh, we continue to scale that model. Every quarter and every two quarters, our LPs grew. Um, they saw the deal flow that was that we were that they were getting through us was dramatically better than what they had seen earlier. And I think the last three years um, for better have been built on um, actually choosing that model, creating a really fresh optionality for LPs as well who actually were blindfolding their capital behind uh, something that they wouldn't know how it would perform for 10 years. Whereas uh, with Better, they actually get uh, access to the top 5 to 10% deals in the country. And um, that has just uh, been phenomenal for us. Now, I actually know a few friends who started raising their fund around the same time that I started in Jan 18. And it took them well over 18 months to get the setup and the compliance and the money and everything done. By the time they had invested, they, they started to invest. I actually had about 40, yeah, 40 companies in the portfolio and a few that had broken out already and the flywheel had started to move as well, right? So, um, um, so I think, uh, you know, what really worked, and again, this is again, all pre-solo GP discussion. I think for me, I chose it because I, I just didn't, I, I so I'm a founder. I, I thought I could do it, and I, I just did it. So the starting of Better Capital itself is a uh, is a story of another founder starting another thing and just doing it, right? Um, so so I think that's how it all worked out, and um, and now we are at a situation where I think I have inbound requests to start a fund like twice a week, right? So which is I think uh, one of the major projects for us this year. We're going to take a fresh uh, first principles look at um, capital sourcing and uh, and hopefully we, we, we try to solve uh, some of those things for our, our, our portfolio. Now that's a fantastic story, right? You don't get to often hear about hear about stories like this within with venture capital, especially when you're going out and raising money from LPs as such. And what really stood out to me in that part was how you built this robust portfolio that you currently post but I'm guessing the early days were not easy. You know, you being a single person fund yourself, probably you did all of the heavy lifting yourself back then. And today you have a lot of inbound that comes in. You built a great social media presence, both on LinkedIn and other places where you're able to put out your thought, put out 
reasons as to why somebody should be taking your money but that took a while to build that reputation right what are some of the things that you did at the early stage that now in retrospect when you look back were the right things that really built the foundation for you personally and what are some things that maybe were hiccups along the way that if you look back you're like okay i could have done that a little different this is keeping in mind emerging fund managers or people who have just launched their own funds a little bit of an advice to them or more so from the playbook what kind of playbook did you write what kind of playbook will you write today if you were to start your fund all over again as somebody who has gained this experience yeah absolutely um so look um, there are a few different parts to it um so first was i think the choice of the model that i chose itself right the spv model um i i actually took a first principles look at what was happening in venture itself i actually believe that venture um has uh, changed forever everybody is multi stage every you know billion dollar fund is doing 200k checks as well access has become incredibly hard and um the 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 you know model for a fund that lasted for the last 50 60 years is is just not going to be the one that we will see uh, going forward right it's only that the everybody has like any new big change i think it's still percolating right but i saw uh, some of it i had the benefit of I, the fact that i was just starting off right so i i basically what did not make sense to me is um i think um the, you know the need to create a fund so that you could um you could uh, invest a, um, or or let me put it this way right so when you start a closed ended fund you basically tell your lps that look i'm going to invest in the india thesis i'm going to do pre seed checks of these sizes i will do this valuation i will aim for this ownership and i will do this and do that and you're basically doing a math model to return uh, to to basically guide your investment to promise lps what you will do and not do and um, essentially kind of deploy around that and uh, halfway around that raise your second fund and so on and so forth now what was ha- actually happening on the ground is that when you actually went to deploy that capital you couldn't find a deal um that was appropriate for your ownership and your check size and your valuation and your segment and everything so um either you were investing in something that was suboptimal or you were losing that best deal and uh, you were sort of doing a one off here and there and things like that right and um in a more competitive ecosystem it was happening 10x um uh, 10x more than in a less competitive ecosystem but everywhere was heading in that everyone was heading in that direction um so that is from the fund manager perspective right which just felt super constrained i mean because you know as an outsider when i look at it i venture is about owning a small part of the best companies that will be created this decade right i think that is the objective i don't want the structure that was defined over the last 30 40 50 years to weigh uh, weigh myself down on the application of that structure today because today's scenario is just entirely different than what it was 10 years ago 20 years ago and 30 years ago right so i think um the first thing that i would highly recommend looking at it's not always the right answer for everybody but it was for us is um the spv model that actually uh helps you 
uh, invest in a fairly unconstrained manner while giving your set of LPs far more access and control and, and, and gives them the ability to dial up or dial down their investments depending on how you're performing instead of waiting 10 years to find out that you're returning 1.5x, right? So I think that was something that I felt was very good from our LP's perspective, as well as from my perspective. And interestingly, um, it, it, um, it played out in our very first investment, which was Open, which is now Asia's largest SME neobank. Um, I did the last check in their pre-seed um, on, on clear conviction, actually, right? Uh, I don't think uh, anybody was investing in neobanks in India. Most people were wondering why somebody's doing this, will it ever work in India, et cetera. But I think I was very, very clear. Um, uh, I, I still remember a conversation with the founder on a Saturday. Um, and then Open ended up, uh, you know, just kind of going from scale to scale. In 15 months, they've gone from pre-seed to seed to, pre uh, to series A to series B, the tiger led, right? And um, because of our structure, we were able to do every single check. We were not, um, we had the capital to do pre-seed, seed, series A and series B. And thankfully, we were able to do some pro super prorata as well. Now, in a traditional fund structure, I would have been capped out because of the valuation, right. money, a whole bunch of things, right? right. And we, we just own uh, so much more of, um, of, of the firm. Um, so I think that's one big part. And I think um, the second um, is uh, really, I think you just have to create your own sort of recipe that is very clear. So um, I actually don't do any PR at all. I think the only thing I also started doing in January of 2018 is writing on LinkedIn. And I've done that. That, that is great PR. Um, yeah, I guess in hindsight, right? But look, I had 1,000 connections and I think everybody was irrelevant to what, was I, what I was writing, uh, Akash. So uh, I think, uh, like they say, consistency is everything, right? So um it's probably one of the rare things that i've done that consistently in my life honestly and it, <laughs> it's it not to be really good well. right it's a repository of amazing content in preparation for this um episode i was going through some of the stuff that you didn't know the last couple of years it's just fabulous right. when you look back on things and how much content that you've actually written from your own personal experience and you just mentioned that when you started it you had probably thousand followers but now you have close to 35,000 followers who just follow you on LinkedIn and, and you're constantly getting that sort of engagement from founders and people who want to go out and also start their funds at some point. So that valuable piece of information really sets you apart as well. Sometimes you don't need your, a PR agency to go out and put you out in newspapers. LinkedIn, Twitter and, has, and Clubhouse and these other places have become a fantastic platform for knowledge sharing and people are able to connect with you on a more one-on-one -on -one basis. And you know that this is not, um, let's say, adulterated uh, content. This is coming straight yeah. from experience. This is coming straight from the heart sometimes. And this is honest sort of uh, opinions that are being shared. So even if it's a small LinkedIn post, it's sometimes more authentic than a proper full blown out article that comes out in one of the publications. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my, my view has been very simple that if Reid Hoffman has told you enough about social networks, I really don't have a better way of articulating in my own <laughs> language. I'll most likely butcher it, right? So I think most of my content, if you see, is actually the here and now, because I think there's enough that's online that I don't need to repeat. I think it's really the application. It's about connecting to the times that we are in. It's about 
seeing where the founders are, what are they facing, what are we learning? And I'm just, you know, almost everything that you read is anonymized version of what I'm going through. Right. So I think that's why uh, it, it's been a little more actionable for uh, for for some of the founders. Do you ever sit back and look at some of your own LinkedIn posts from a couple of years ago and and take a look and just evaluate how things were being built back in say 2018? Because let's face it, when you look back at some of those posts, you're like, what was I thinking back then? Or I was like, oh, okay, I had conviction even on some of these sectors that in hindsight were like genius decisions that I made. Do you ever do that yourself? You know, when you were saying that I was just scrolling through the, your LinkedIn, I was just wondering, shoot, I have no idea what I had written and I don't know if I want to scroll back. <laughs> so no, man, I, I haven't done that. But then uh, maybe I should. You're right. I think it might just give me a, a good picture of myself back then. <laughs> oh, I always do that, especially on Twitter. Uh, I go back and read some of the stuff that I put out from the year before because I usually do a year in review of my own work. And sometimes mm-hmm. even in the same year, I'm like, wow, I was so cringe back in Jan. <laughs> you, <know>? you feel <laughs> exactly, so embarrassed a, <laughs> No, no, but that's a good thing. Maybe now that now, now that you're making me think, if it's embarrassing, that's good because I'm less embarrassing today then. <laughs> exactly. So you can see the uh, progress that you've made in just the course of 12 months. So I'm guessing even the last three years, there's a whole whole journey that you've been through that doesn't even meet anybody's eye, right? Because we speak about, you've spoken about, you're trying to condense all of your experience in a 30 minute or a 40 minute episode. But when you go back and look at all the posts that you've written, and if you're able to like delve deeper and just do a little bit of introspection, you will just realize how much as an investor you have personally grown. And while I was doing that, you could, while I was going through your LinkedIn, you could literally see how your opinions about market has changed, about founders have changed. Uh, the core yeah. remains the same, like you mentioned, back from your founding days as well. The Some of the ethics and values remain the same, but things that you look for, the market dynamics, the timing, the execution, all of these things have actually evolved, even when you just go back and look at it from when companies were built in 2018 to how companies are being perhaps being built in 2021. It's just a different sort of an evolution that comes about in a span of maybe three or four years. Absolutely. You know, I, um, I believe 100% of what I know that I rely on today is just absolute new information around venture, obviously, right? Um, and, and look, I think uh, I just wrote this as a comment on somebody's post today. And I, I just said, you know, I personally believe expertise as well as experience are both extremely overrated um, in today's world, which is changing so fast, right? So I think um, the only superpower any of us could have is our ability to learn and keep learning, right? Uh, Everything else is honestly, you know, uh, stale very quickly. I completely agree with that. I mean, you have young founders today who are schooling old school um, operators and even investors for that matter on newer topics that are newer trends that you perhaps wouldn't have been thinking about and that's that's basically where that innovation is coming about and you're absolutely right in terms of expertise and experience perhaps you know are two things that are overvalued and that is what is going to change going forward as well and I see that shift happening even in venture you know traditionally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you wanted Mm -hmm. to go out and raise money from people who have either been in PE investment banking or had some sort of venture experience but today you have operator VCs come out, you have people who are going out and founding funds at the age of 25. I know young fund, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, fund managers, as young as 24, 25, who are like one or two years out of college who are going out and raising small funds and trying to mm-hmm. 
you know, basically make a name for themselves as an investor. So even that model is being disrupted if you think about it. So even experience and expertise from that perspective sometimes doesn't really matter. And there are people mm-hmm. who are willing to back that. Absolutely, absolutely. Because look, I think the 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 teenager uh, that you know who's super sharp is probably going to build the next uh, amazing innovation or company or whatever it may be. So I think um, you know I'm in my mid forties and uh, I'm I'm actually very very focused on learning from uh, all the young founders, right? Because they're telling me something. I, I look, I can apply my experience and connect the dots a little bit and help them and help myself. But uh, I'm learning from my founders as much as they're learning from me. Maybe I'm learning more from them. From them. And you're saying this in your mid forties, Vibhav. I am me. I'm meeting twenty two, twenty three year olds who are just amazing people. And I wish I had the hustle and the knowledge and the experience and just the fire in the belly that these young twenty odd people have. And I'm I'm just I'm just about to hit thirty, right? And I still feel that these guys are already giving me a run for my money. I can only imagine what it feels for somebody who's in their mid forties. And given that, you know, it's such a collaborative ecosystem as well, it gives an opportunity for us to learn from um, these young, I wouldn't want to call them kids because that makes me feel old, uh, but young professionals who are entering <laughs> the industry as such. So that that's a good segue yeah. into um, what I wanted to ask you from the beginning and even before the episode started, what is your vision for better? And what does success for you look like and where do you want to take this? Look, I think uh, the the crux of why I'm doing better is um, really to be um, part of innovation, right? Um, problem solving. And uh, I think um, if you look at all our investments and most of our investments are very aligned with um, problems that I think need to be solved. I'll give you an example. You know, in one of my professional forums, this was about two, three years ago, um, somebody said something to the effect of, oh man, um, agriculture in India is such a, um, it's, it's done so badly. It's in such a bad shape. I think we should just stop agriculture or something to that effect, right? It was just very weird. I'd never uh, believed that. And I, I, he, was, he was actually extremely right that it's broken, broken beyond um, repair is what his view was. And he said, oh, we should stop. And I was like, no way. It is broken. So we should solve for it. And um, you said you've spoken with Mark. Mark is obviously the largest agri investor. But I think uh, at Better, we built our agri portfolio. Um, amazing set of founders, you know, Jack Hassan, Bijak. Um, Bharat Agri and a couple others, where um, we said, no, um, you know, I think uh, the reason um, Agri is broken because we are not sending our best founders uh, and and best professionals to go solve it and we're not funding them enough and whatnot, right? And that's where, you know, we actually um, invested uh, very early in Agri before the mainstream ecosystem started investing in Agri, right? Or, or early at least, earlier at least, right? So I think um, the, the vision of better continues to be actually having a unique view of the future and really um, being part of that um, innovation capital that goes into these uh, founding teams at the earliest um, that is possible, right? So I think it's really about partnering with the innovators for the next 10 to 20 years 
And if we do that right, if we are very true to that vision, irrespective of, like I said, the structure of the fund and the returns and this and that, I think that that's all an outcome, right? And I think, like I said before, I think the structures and everything else is weighing in on our decision-making, which I see happening firsthand, right? So I think at better, we want to be very, very clear about um, setting ourselves up, whether we are a small team or a large team, but setting ourselves up to laser focus on funding innovation from the first check onwards and not let um, any legacy thinking come in the way of how we decide. Um, I'm also a very market first investor. That doesn't mean I'm not a team first investor. I think that's a cliche, but I believe even the best teams cannot figure out if the market is just not there. Right. And, and maybe because I, and I have a bent for that because I have been an operator and I've, I've, I've sort of sold all over the world and things like that. But um, with that in mind, I think the opportunity is enormous, uh, specifically for India. I think uh, we'll probably and hopefully have the best decade so far um, that venture has had. And, um, and, and, and you know, we, we hope that we can play a small part along the, uh, along the way. Vaibhav, I think you summed up what better was, is, and wants to be, and the path that you're taking to actually get there. And I don't think there's a better sort of note to enter my last segment on. And I actually wanted to end the episode on that itself because that's such a great takeaway. But I do want to get into this little segment, which, you know, if, if you'd been following some of my previous episodes or first season, it was a rapid fire. But I've tried to change that format a little bit and delve a little more uh, and focusing a little bit on your personality and, and the investor personality and getting to know you just beyond your VC hat, right? So take fun-based mm-hmm. questions again. So I'll shoot this off to you first. What is your favorite book or the book that you've read that kind of just resonates with you and you go back and keep reading it all over again? And every time you read it, something fresh really comes out of it. So I'm actually really embarrassed to say this, but I I just don't finish anything that I start, right? Um, so. Um, yeah. Is, is there anything uh, that has, a, is there a book that you wanted to go back to and finish? Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> I know my kids make fun of me for the exact same reason, because I actually don't, um, uh, don't really answer. I mean, don't, don't finish all these books, but I think, um, the, the one book that I do want to finish is probably Sapiens. Because I think it's it just, I think whatever I've, yeah. And I think it just helps you with perspective and things like that. That's an amazing one. And uh, I would highly recommend actually finish reading it to anybody and also finishing that book. Um, and there's this book called Range by David Epstein, uh, which, I mean, if you're, I would highly recommend that as well. And this is perfect for somebody like you and, me, and, and you and me or anybody else out there who consider themselves to be generalists. Um, so definitely something that I would put out there as well. The next yeah, thing I think this is, this, this is something I think uh, I'm pretty sure you'll have. What's your favorite band or artist or a song? I'm not into music. Not at all? At all. Wow. Seriously not. <laughs> how do you, how do you pump yourself up? How do you pump yourself up before like a big meeting and stuff or when you're going out for a workout? Listening to what my kids listen. <laughs> they, they, Amazing. They have a better taste than me. Amazing. I probably need to interview them for this segment then. <laughs> totally, yeah. I know. Because they might they might know a song that dad likes, uh, but doesn't know the artist. 
all right well, i'm i'm hoping there is one answer here for sure and i'm i'm very confident there is the biggest piece of advice that you want to give founders today you know uh, it's probably what i wrote in my first email signature that i um, put when i went to berkeley uh, for my grad school and essentially read believe in yourself um i don't think it can be anything can be any more true than that so i think that's the only advice believe in yourself that's fantastic vibhav and even better note to end the episode on this has been a wonderful conversation i have learned a whole lot about your experience and everything that you've done ever since you were a founder to where you are today and where better is heading towards and i'm extremely excited i am looking forward to co-invest with you like we did in 2020 in one deal hoping to mm-hmm. um, you know be part of several more and really cheering you on from the outside i think it's a wonderful thesis wonderful fund that is built on some really strong foundations that really comes from who you are as a person and i'm really excited and bullish about what you guys are doing and i would really urge founders out there to look out for you guys and um yeah cheering you on vibhav this has been a fantastic conversation no thank you so much akash it was wonderful i think you made me think again so maybe i'm going to listen to the edited version as well just for my own sake so thank you so much i think you asked great questions and i think this was long time coming so thanks for making it happen i'm going to make sure you finish the episode when you start it <laughs> <laughs> i said that <laughs> wonderful wasn't that a fantastic episode there was humor there was levity there was insights and there were some fantastic information about the fund and more about the landscape of venture capital in india from vibhav what particularly stood out to me were the challenges that a solo gp faces in the country and vibhav has tried to address that and continues to build a successful brand in better vibhav has built a great playbook for first time fund managers to leverage He has been there and done that the hard way, especially when solo founders or solo GPs was not even a term that was coined or existed within the venture ecosystem. Today, we're seeing many solo GPs come into the Indian VC ecosystem, and that trend is only going to continue. And I urge a lot of these solo GPs to reach out to Vibhav and perhaps share some notes and gain his insight into how he built it beyond what is existing on this podcast. Well if you're like me and you enjoyed everything in that episode or even some bits of the episode please go ahead and rate and subscribe to the podcast because one thing that we love to do here is to bring insights to more people in the ecosystem and with your help we shall be able to do that and if you do have a minute drop in a review as well it really helps others discover the show next week is our 50th episode and I'm truly excited about this landmark You've been an instrumental part of this journey with me. So I thank you so much for helping me get so far and more importantly I'd love for you to join me next week to see who we've got in the episode and celebrate it together. Until next week, take care everybody and continue to keep hustling.